Hey, everybody. Happy Thursday, and welcome to the July 9th episode of the Variety and iHeart podcast, The Big Ticket. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Coming up today, Evan Rachel Wood, the Westworld star, recalls the moment she was told her character Dolores was being killed off the show and wonders if she'll be back. Then later, Sarah Gilbert, she talks about the Connors and what she misses most about being on the talk. And you might notice that I ask about upcoming Pride Month. That's because my chats with Wood and Gilbert were recorded at the end of May. I'll be right back. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Evan Rachel Wood has been nominated twice for her work as Westworld's leading robot, Dolores. Well, in the latest season, Dolores was killed off. Or maybe she wasn't. I caught up with Wood via Zoom from her home in Los Angeles. How is Evan Rachel Wood doing in quarantine? It's not bad. You know, I think homeschooling has been a challenge for everyone, so I'm definitely not alone in that. (laughs) Um, Going a little stir crazy, but I've been productive, you know? I'm good. I'm I'm safe. My family's safe. So I'm I'm lucky. Um, so you said homeschooling's been tough. So what's your hard subjects? <laughs> um probably writing. <laughs> really? No. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, for the most part, my kid really loves learning. I think it, you know, parents just are not supposed to be teachers. That's the problem. <laughs> That's. I think that's the title of your next book. Yeah. <laughs> Parents are not supposed to be teachers. Exactly. They're not. Um, what are you binging while you're in quarantine? Because everyone's binging. Oh, gosh. Um, what did I just watch? I just watched Middleditch and Swar- Schwartz. Have you yes. seen that? Yes. The Instagram show on Netflix. God, I love it. I'm so sad there's only three episodes. I just wanted more. <laughs> what do you love about it? Um, it was just kind of my sense of humor, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reminded me of me and my brother a lot. Where we just have a similar dynamic when we start kind of improvising and things like that. He's an actor too, so you know. God. <laughs> yeah, we've been binging. Where my husband and I are big bingers, so we just binge and binge. We get obsessed with something, and we're like, "Greg, I got to keep watching it, keep watching it, keep watching it." But it's, yeah. this is the time to do it, I guess. I know. I know. I should, I should be catching up on everything. <laughs> so, Dolores. <laughs> That's a loaded word nowadays. Dolores, Dolores, Dolores. Dolores. She's, she's been erased. Mm-hmm. She has. And you're not going to tell me anything whether she's coming back or not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would have to, I, no, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, when did you know that she was going to be erased? Did you know this at the beginning, at the end? No, I, I, I found out, I think, halfway through season three or sort of towards the end. Um, we really find out the arc of our characters episode by episode. We get a general idea at the beginning of each season. They kind of tell us where our characters are at, mm-hmm. what their mission is, and then go. And then we sort of learn. And then we learn as we go. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I think it's, it's challenging to, to work on, but also what makes it exciting. Um, so, yeah, Jonah, Jonah called me up and, and <laughs> broke the news to me. And, you know, it's, a, it's bittersweet because mm. I understand why, you know, her path sort of ended here and, and 
and why she sacrifices herself. But yeah, it, you know, it's devastating. It's, it's Dolores. What did he say to you? Um, you can try to get something out of me. <laughs> he said, uh, he said, um, he said that she was going to die. <laughs> I mean, he was very blunt about it. Um, you know, and, and, and was slightly cryptic about other, other questions I right. had, but, but, but confirmed that yes, this, you know, the Dolores that we know is, is gone. That has to be a weird phone call to get. It is weird. I mean, I always believe those Nolans have something up their sleeve, but, <laughs> but when you get a phone call from Jonah, you know, yeah, something's, something's going down. It's real. <laughs> and, 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 do you, I mean, I guess, is there like a mourning period? Absolutely. I, there, there always is. Anytime I have to say goodbye to a character, there's, there's mm. mourning. I mean, this one particularly, um, she's always going to have such a place in my heart. I mean, the show has been so incredible to work on, but also just that character is such a once in a lifetime character. And she means so much to me and to so many other people. And, you know, we've seen her go on this entire journey. Um, so yes, it, 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 it was when I was shooting that scene with Tandy, sort of, you know, the, the, the summary of, of what she's learned and, and why she's doing what she's doing. It was just, I think the first few takes were unusable because Tandy and I just could not stop weeping. Really? <laughs> like more than what the scene called for. And so they, our directions at first were it's so beautiful. Could just, you know, pull it back a little bit. And we were like, <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't. This is, this is so sad. Um, but I, I think she's one character that I, you know, she's like a crown jewel of my career. I, I'm mm. I, for the rest of my life. It'll be something that I look back on that I'm immensely proud of and that I, I've, poured a lot of hard work into and and had a great time doing and you know I can just hope for the best for the future but <laughs> now do you get to tell the rest of the cast I mean it sounds so weird that you're dying <laughs> how does that uh, happen I didn't get to tell anyone and then of course after we shot it I couldn't tell anybody in my life either right. and so I <laughs> I'm kind of bummed out and <laughs> going through this morning period and I can't tell anybody why or what's going on or how the season ended. I think honestly, the person that it was the hardest for was my mother because I obviously didn't want to give it away, but I knew she was going to be devastated <laughs> and she was. And I, but more than I, more than I anticipated, I called her up and she's just weeping. <laughs> Just make some great memories. I don't understand. And like, I had to be like, no, but mom, you know, like this is, you know, I had to give her some kind of hope. But, you know, for the most part, it was just, that was the hardest phone call, I think. <laughs> um, and I understand why she was so upset. She takes it personally anytime a, a character that I play meets their demise. It's, it's a personal attack. That's very sweet. I like that. You know, she's always going to be your mom, no matter who you're playing. Absolutely. Um, so now, you know, I know there's been the teases of season four. Dolores is dead, but this is Westworld. Anything could exactly. happen. Just tell me. Just tell me you're coming back. <laughs> Okay, no, I <laughs> I want to come back. So. Okay, you got that. Okay, we like that. I mean, obviously, I mean, you, you know, you're getting some of the 
best reviews of your career for this. This is like you said, this is the yeah. crown jewel of of your career. Two Emmy nominations, at least two Emmy nominations. Do do you think about those kind of the Emmy thing, or are you do you have to put that in the back of your head? How do you wrap your mind around that? Um, you know, you you do have to put it in the back of your head while you're on set and while you're doing your work. Otherwise, you're you're focused on the wrong thing. Um, but but I have been been proud of of how the show is done and and the recognition that it's received and that the cast and crew is has received because it, it, it really is, it's a behemoth uh, project to, to work on um, in every way for every department. Um, it demands a lot, um, you know, uh, of, of time and energy and lack of sleep and long hours and sacrifices. And, um, you know, everybody really just pours their heart into it because they believe in it. And, you know, we, we really believe in um, Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy's vision. Um, you know, we'll sort of follow them anywhere at this point. Um, and so to, to see a show that, I, you know, I believe is being made for the right reasons by really great people and some of just the best actors out there. I mean, and, and, and such beautiful writing and something that's become more and more relevant as the show has gone on, you know, eerily so. Yeah, um, talk, talk about that. How weird is that? Yeah, it is. It is really strange. Um, but you know, no, Jonah and Lisa, not, not really. Um, they're so brilliant. Um, and they can probably see the big picture before a lot of us, but, um, but I, I loved the themes this season. I, I loved going into the real world and exploring, you know, what, what the system really is. And, and the fact that, you know, Dolores realizes, Oh, uh, you know, I, I'm not free if everybody isn't free, and that the park wasn't really w- what had me trapped. It's this entire world. It's this entire system. It's it's mm. it's, um, you know, a really crazy act of anarchy that she does by giving everybody that profile. And you know, and I think some people love Dolores and rally behind her all the way, and some people love to hate Dolores. <laughs> and I think that's one of the fun things about being able to play a character like her is she is multifaceted. You know, in more ways than one. And she's always changing and always evolving and, and she's not perfect. Um, she has been through a lot. Um, and I will miss her dearly. <laughs> what will you miss about her? Um, well, I already kind of had to say goodbye to one version of Dolores right. in the first season. Um, and, and, and that was hard because I really adored her and her purity and and the way she viewed the world and so it was so gratifying at the end of season three to know that that part of her was still there and that her core code hadn't gone anywhere and she still saw the beauty and everything you know even if her methods were messy and, and brutal at times you know change is difficult and 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 revolutions are you know not always what they are made out to be um so that was already a goodbye um and and I'll miss uh, I'll miss the fierceness. I'll miss uh, I'll miss her with all of her experiences. You know, mm. I don't. You know, if 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 and when we go forward, I I, I just I don't know what that version will look like. So I'll miss all those things. You you know, being a part of a show like this does AI scare the heck out of you? It certainly has made me look at the world differently. I do not have Alexa. I, I turned Siri off. It, it genuinely, 
has maybe perked my ears up a little more about things and just ask more questions. You know, I think there's a lot of technology out there right now that is moving very rapidly and so fast that I think it's hard for a lot of us to keep up. Um, and the more we don't understand it, then the more out of control we are um, and the more uh, vulnerable we are to have it sort of control us in, in, in a way. And, and so I think it's made a lot of people question where their information is going, where their data is going. You know, we all leave some sort of digital trail now wherever we go, whatever we buy, the things we Google, the people that we talk to, who's our friend. Um, you, you know, know what's going to happen. I'm going to get off this Zoom. With you know you. what my, I mean? My, oh, my iPhone's going to have all ads for Westworld. <laughs> exactly. Because, <laughs> you know, something's always listening. And so Jonah Nolan has said this, you know, while this has always been a science fiction show, it's, it is also very much about the here and now. It's just told in a fantasy uh, context in, in a way that, you know, it's like an adult fairy tale. You know, it's a cautionary tale. So are you making music while you're in quarantine? I am. Inspired. Tell me about that. I am. You know, it's how I keep myself sane. Whenever I need a moment to myself, I'll go take some piano lessons. Really? I, I, I by the grace of God, um, or or whoever, uh, I I put in like a home, like a small home studio in my office right before quarantine happened. Oh, wow. So I had this play space with like keyboards and a mic and you know, Pro Tools and all those things. So that's been a lifesaver, really. <laughs> Are you, in, is there a different creative inspiration? Um, I think it's, it's less stressful to create because there's less guilt about it almost. I think that my life is, you know, I got my hats in a lot of different rings <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a single mom. I have Westworld, I have a band and, um, I run the, the, you know, um, nonprofit, uh, the Phoenix Act, you know, where we, you know, advocate for new legislation for domestic violence and things like that. So it's been a lot of plates. <laughs> yeah. How, how much, how much have you been paying attention? Obviously we've seen the reports, you know, people are quarantined and they're in situations of, you know, domestic abuse where they can't get out. So how much more involved have you been or different initiatives? Um, I've tried to keep an eye on it. You know, I think our law um, to expand the statute of limitations is really going to come in handy now because that, that gives victims more time to report uh, crime. Um, and, you know, all the research will, will, will show that sometimes, it, you know, it can take people years to feel safe enough, you know, to leave their bad situations, you know, to, to make sure that they're protected. Um, and right now, you know, yeah, my fear is that there's a lot of people that have gotten stuck. Um, you know, maybe they had an escape plan. Maybe they can't go anywhere now. Maybe, you know, they're, they're stuck at home with their abusers. You know, it's a terrifying thought. Um, so it's definitely, uh, made me want to just, you know, keep raising awareness and making sure that, you know, people know that home is not the safest place for everyone. And, um, mm. you know, I think there's going to be a lot of work to do once, once quarantine is over for sure. Is there anything you could say? I mean, I just, if someone, you know, is listening to this, who's in that situation, is there, what, what, what does someone like myself, if, if right. that situation comes up and I hear someone's in that situation, what do I say? What do I do? I usually tell people, because, you know, obviously, because I, I do a lot of work with this, I get, it, it's sad, actually, how many phone calls I get from people that are in a situation or have a friend in a situation, and they, and they, they call me for advice, and I always, you know, tell people to, you know, I'll, I'll give people websites, you know, the, the domestic violence hotline, you know, there, there's usually websites, if you want to go in and look for information, um, they'll have the quick exit button, you know, so in case 
you don't want somebody seeing what you're doing. You can exit quickly and safely. Um, and I tell people to get an advocate, you know, um, I've, I've obviously have a lot of experience with this, but, but I, but I definitely try to direct people to an advocate that, 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 or, or a hotline where you can call somebody or professional that, that will listen to you and, and help you with a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and educate yourself about the cycle of abuse, um, you know, educate yourself about how to handle it if your friend is in that situation, because there are some things that are good do's and don'ts, you know, you don't want to shame them, you don't want to make them feel bad, you just want to make sure that, you know, they know that you're there, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, try to help them get out safely, that's all you can do. So just taking a little turn, a little fun question for yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> what was the first audition you ever went on, whether you got the part or not? You know, I, I, I did get the part for the first audition. <laughs> good, good. We like that. <laughs> so, you know, I was four years old. Um, I mean, God, I've been doing this for so long now. It's really wild to think about, um, especially now that my son is older than I was when I started now. Um, you know, I think about him having a full-time job, but I'm like, what? Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I was four. It was a TV movie with Richard Thomas. Wow. Um, yeah. And, and it was in Wilmington, North Carolina. Do you remember the audition? Like, what do you have to do when you're four? Um, just read a few lines. I remember I used to, uh, um, go on auditions, you know, after that, after this first audition, I would go to this casting director's office all the time and, and audition there. And that's kind of where I started was in North Carolina in Wilmington. Um, when a lot of more things were filming on the East coast. Um, and we, you know, you would just always get, it was like when you would get your side, sides out of the fax machine and it was that soft paper and the ink was all running, you know, you're just trying to read the lines, make sure you got it right. And I, I just remember those pages and going in to read and just a lot of that, a lot of memorizing. It's, it's made me have a pretty good memory. That, that actually brought, when you're describing the fax paper, I could smell it. Right? It and you feel it. <laughs> Um, and then one last question for you. Next month is Pride Month. What does Pride yeah. mean for you? It means a lot. Um, I'm I'm out and proud bisexual, and um, I love Pride. I always, you know, <laughs> try to go out and have fun or to one of the parades, and I dress up, and um, you know, I love the sense of community and how fun it is, and how much joy is just filled in the streets, and. Um, I, t- I took my son to Pride last year, and he loved it. Um, oh, in LA, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We just like went like, like part of the parade, and, um, so uh, so I I think it's great. I think it's a wonderful celebration, and it and it and it always means a lot to be able to you know have that time to be surrounded by friends, even though they're strangers. You know, Evan, thank you very much. It's always thank a pleasure you. seeing you. I know. I say seeing whatever we say. I hope it's important again soon. I know. And stay safe and enjoy uh, homeschooling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye. That was Evan Rachel Wood. Coming up next, Sarah Gilbert, the star and producer of the ABC sitcom, The Connors. Stick around. I'll be right back. wish you could get more from your podcast well you can with buzzfeed daily hosted by me casey rackham and me zach safford on our show we've got more good news and more pop culture more memes and more celebrity tea more of everything that's blowing up your timeline and trending on the internet every weekday evening we're giving you more of what you need to enjoy your day because what's life if it isn't to be enjoyed 
Listen to BuzzFeed Daily on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Sarah Gilbert has been on television for as long as I could remember. First, she became a household name playing Darlene on Roseanne, followed several years later as the creator of and a panelist on The Talk. She reprised her role as Darlene in the Roseanne reboot, which, as fans know, was retooled as the Connors after Roseanne Barr's controversial departure. Gilbert spoke with me from her home in Los Angeles. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) My uh, five-year-old is here, so if he runs in, you know, maybe we just pause it and whatever. Don't worry, I have two dogs, so if the mailman shows up, the dogs will bark. Crazy, okay. So, Sarah Gilbert. The yes. Yeah. Uh, did, did you ever in your wildest dreams back in the day, you leave the show, the Connors, Roseanne, whatever you want to call it at the point, would be back, that you would revisit Darlene in any way? You know, it just wasn't something that I think anybody thought about in those days. No shows came back. It wasn't really a thing once it was done. Right. It done and um and so grateful that we had the chance to revisit it you know i missed Mm. it for years there were little murmurs you know here and there over the years of reunions or this or that but i was under the impression really that no one wanted to do it again and um i i didn't even know they had tried to launch one i think like 10 years before or something like that. oh really something that that they were trying to get together and it never even made it to me. So I was surprised and excited to hear that cast and producers wanted to do it. You know, obviously there was some Michigas that happened, whatever, but everything happens for a reason. Do you think, do you think everything happened for a reason? It got you to a place where this is the show that you wanted and this is the show that it should be. Um, it was certainly painful, you know, that time. And I don't, I don't know if everything happens for a reason or we're, you know, who knows? I mean, sometimes it's comforting to think that way, but I'm grateful that we've gotten to continue the show, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's That's not really say, but I, you know, it's not like, I, I wish it didn't go that way, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, and that, that's what I'm, I'm not even talking about what happened. Like, the fact is that you were able to persevere, go on, and have the success that you did. Because there's, you know, there's a lot of shit that wouldn't be able to handle that. That wouldn't be able to think, how do we reinvent ourselves or survive it? And the fact that you did, and it kept going. I'm, is, so, it's just, yeah, I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful to the fans and the writers and the cast and producers and everybody for hanging in there. And, and, you know, like I said, the fans for continuing to watch, you know, because it was a big change. And so we feel like the stories are important The you know, telling mm. the stories of the middle class is something that not a lot of people do or not a lot of people do always accurately, like showing the true right. struggle showing the power really being shut off or, you know, the possibility of losing your house. And 
So I think luckily people want to see the Connors kind of deal with those day-to-day struggles. Yeah. I mean, I think I've told you this before when I did, I think I was at the premiere when I interviewed you. I mean, your show was my show growing up and that was my family that people would say to me, you know, if we talked about, I'm like, that shows my family. Roseanne would play my mom, you know, I didn't have sisters, but we, that was what we worried about. We worried about the bills being paid. You know, my mom, if the phone rang, it's the lamb, if it's the landlord, tell them I'm not home. Yeah, it's exactly. Just so relatable. And I still, I still think about it, about how, you know, so many shows, you know, it was the same time where like I was watching Dynasty. You know, it's like these complete opposites of shows. Which but is it's like so relatable. Kind of fantasy, right? That like Right. So I I get the place for both kinds of wish fulfillment and then the reality and you know, I am always grateful when people say that they identified with the show at a time where they didn't identify with other shows. I feel yeah. that if we accomplish that and we get people to laugh a little bit, that's all we can hope for, really. So the show even resonates more now, I would think. Well, I don't know. I don't know, because I was younger then, so it resonated in a different way. But now I think of it in political terms, and I think of it in eco uh, economic social terms mm-hmm. do you find it as you're older too is it heavier do you feel more of a responsibility to be representing those voices well you're right because i was younger at the time too so i don't think right. i was i don't think i was interpreting it through the lens of what it meant culturally socioeconomically but really that was the legacy of the show that was always there. That just wasn't our mind frame when we weren't paying the bills or, or in touch with the realities of other people struggling to do that, you know? So, but I think um, it definitely feels heavier to me now looking at the show, it still has the levity and the humor, but just in terms of, Mm the social, you know, socially looking at how people like that are struggling to make it in our society. And also the cycle of, you know, here were the kids that you thought maybe particularly Darlene had a chance to make it out of this poverty cycle and seeing that that didn't happen. So there is like an inherent heaviness to that. And also just, it feels like we're in a heavier time in our culture. So everything sort of like has a deeper resonance, right? right. Um, so you've had some fun uh, new guest stars. You've had the Osbournes, Cheryl yeah. Hines. Who else would you love to see on the show? Who's, who's, some, who's some of your dream guest stars? I'd like or to- Greg, uh, Jennifer Gray. <laughs> right, I'd like to get Lisa Kudrow on there. She knows, I've told her. So I'm making it- yeah. I'm making it my mission. Yeah, and she's actually a big fan of the show, which is, you know, means the world to me. I just think she's such a comedic genius. Now I wanted to talk to you about, it's been 20 years since High Fidelity. Have you watched the new version on Hulu? I haven't, but I was just, I just saw it on somebody's credits. You know, we were looking at hiring, you know, different departments or this and that, and I, right. I 
hot. And I was like, oh, I've got to check that out. Sometimes when you've been a part of something, there's a piece of you that wants to leave it untouched, like in this time, mm -hmm. level, you know? Did, were you surprised to see that high fidelity would be like, who would think? I know, right? It's funny how <laughs> movies take on this sort of, I don't know, niche cultural sort of appreciation. I've had that happen before and, and you just like never know which ones are gonna do that. Right. right. Um, fun question. Tell me about the first audition you ever went on, whether you got the role or not. Well, that's hard, hard to remember. I mean, I got <laughs> my first job was a Kool-Aid commercial. I was six years old. I don't know if I went on anything before that. I mean, like when I was five, right? It's like, how young do you have to be? But, um, I remember they, I had this hat, like this little Navy hat with a feather in it. And I wore that as like my big, you know, statement piece or whatever. And the, the producers fell in love with the hat. And I basically got the starring role of the commercial, but I had to sign like a waiver thing saying that I wouldn't wear the hat in anything else. Like it was part of the contract. That's so like, that's so something you hear about today, like with branding and all that kind of stuff. Who knew something like that back in the day? Back in the day. And like, thank God I wore that hat. Like maybe I <laughs> like have no, no career at all. So where is that hat now, though? Did they get to keep it? No, I <laughs> I may have it here. My mom, my mom's a keeper of things, so she probably has the hat. See, you know what you have to do. You need to find the commercial, put on Instagram or Twitter, Show you back in the commercial, and now you with the hat now. Hat, that's true. The hat has like, <laughs> I remember the feather is like slowly decomposed. It's like there's a little stuff. <laughs> little red feather it's, it's not what it used to be <laughs> um and the, uh, let's talk about the talk mm. this is a time do you miss being on it especially now where it's just like i mean not that there wasn't stuff to talk about when you were on it but right now it just seems like it's every five minutes where you could be leading a conversation that is it's just so now, so current. Do you miss it at all when you see the news cycle? I always felt shy talking, you know? That's like, <laughs> I was always pushing myself in that direction. Oh, wow. Of course, I do like to have opinions or try to see if people can see things my way. That can be fun because I think I can think, sometimes I think about things from a slightly different angle and that's just, I mean, everybody does, but it's fun to share that and see if you can get people on your side. But um, I miss that piece of it less than I miss the friendship. I love mm. seeing those women every day and connecting with them and that, and the producers and the crew and staff, it was just such a great, environment such a friendly mm. place to go every day so i do miss that have you ever called them and say listen i have some things to say about a certain topic put me on the show today no i'm so <laughs> i think when i left i was like okay i'm ready to not have public opinions all the time <laughs> <laughs>
you know, right. it was just, I, I felt like, okay, I've said my piece on these like things and, you know, I've always been really private. So it has allowed me to sort of recede back into my comfort zone in a way. How, how hard was that for you as a private person? Also, not only private, but then voice in your opinion. And you had to do it in a strong way because that's the nature of that kind of show. People want to hear the different opinions. It was definitely challenging at first, but you've over time, you sort of find a way to do it that's still true to yourself so that you don't feel like you've gone too far or said more than you want to or been more polarizing than you want to. You know, it's, I definitely never wanted to do more harm than good. So it was kind mm -hmm. of striking that balance of having an opinion without you know, I don't want people to be more divided after listening to me talk. Right. And what have you been doing in quarantine? Have you been binging? Are you a binger? I've been watching some things. I've more, it was a lot of organizing the house at first, which was good. <laughs> Honestly, with three kids, it's hard to do that much. <laughs> I have like the family photo albums that I was behind. So I've finished 2017. <laughs> Where I want to like do some little edits on 2018, which sounds really old, but actually once I'm done with 2019, I'm caught up because I don't do them until the end of the year. Wow. Next month is Pride Month. What does Pride mean to you? You know, I think what I see in my kids' generation, so much more acceptance, inclusivity. It's not even a question here in Los Angeles. I know it's not, and in their schools, and you know, I know it's not the same everywhere. And I know a lot of people are still struggling, but to see that in some small piece of the world, how much it's changed since I was a kid is really incredible. So I guess that's what pride means to me, is just watching the, the new generation open their hearts, their minds. Did you ever think you would be this openly gay woman in Hollywood starring in a TV show? You know, you, you did the talk, um, you know, and I say this to kids all the time. I'm like, you guys don't understand. We didn't have a pose. We didn't have a will and grace. You know, you know, we know Roseanne. I mean, the show was groundbreaking in so many LGBTQ issues. Yeah. I mean, everybody was like scared and closeted and it was a, it was a different world, you know, and, and there's still, like I said, a long way to go, especially certain communities. And, you know, it's, it's definitely not perfect, but it is nice to know there's so much more representation for people. There's the dogs. Perfect timing. My dog's out of barking. Sarah, thank you so much. This was so great. Thank you. It was great to talk to you. Great interview. Same here. You thank you. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Yeah, and I you hope too. everyone out there stays safe and well. I know. I know. Take care. Bye. Bye. That was Sarah Gilbert. Coming up next week on The Big Ticket, Luke Evans, the Welsh actor, is talking about the second season of his TNT drama, The Alienist, as well as his upcoming return to playing Gaston 
from Beauty and the Beast for a new prequel series on Disney+. You don't want to miss it. Until then, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Malkin. And for all your up-to-the-minute Hollywood news, head over to Variety.com. Stay safe, be well, and please wear a mask. See you next week.